Now powered by Premier Companies. Ryan, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Good. Well, we stopped uh, our 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 uh, longtime uh, podcast participant, Lynn Longaval. We stopped him in the field. He's out uh, in the field where he always is, but now he's probably harvesting his crop, and we got him stopped. So, Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing lovely. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nothing, there's not funny what you said but it seemed forced it seemed a little forced <laughs> it did seem forced <laughs> hey uh glenn we're well i well i am stopped right so when, you yeah, right. Finish, when i am right. stopped it's, it's, yeah i have to try a little harder we won't but, keep no. we won't keep you long but put a time stamp on this we're mid-october in 2022 and and uh, we've had a uh after we got past G- July 7th, um, we had a, a lot of rain and we have been dry in this harvest. And one of the things we thought we'd talk about is, uh, kind of give us the pluses and minuses, Glenn, about what we're experiencing in this, in this dry spell we've had during harvest. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, sure. So, I mean, there are obviously some, some negative sides if you've had a combine burnup or you've had, um, uh, you know, some loss <clears throat> because of these droughty conditions, then, then uh, we are very empathetic to that. But uh, there are some real positive things <clears throat> whenever you have these kind of dry conditions in the fall. Um, you know, I think short term, uh, just just the um, uh, the fact that you don't have to, you won't have to work quite so hard to clean your combine up, right? If, if you don't get rained on out in the field, uh, your combine's a whole lot easier to clean up, especially if you keep it blown out all along. <clears throat> but probably more seriously is is the um, is, is the ability to do tillage. Now I know in Southern Indiana, in Premier Service Area, we do a lot of uh, no-till and commis- uh, not conventional, but reduced tillage. Mm-hmm. But man, if you are going to do tillage, what a wonderful opportunity to do it in the fall of the year. And and it doesn't mean that you have to be it, you know tillage doesn't have to be completely incompatible with conservation, right? We could make a tillage pass with a vertical tillage tool to scratch in our um, our cover crops, for example, and size the residue. <clears throat> absolutely cause little or no harm, very little uh, loss of structure, and yet give the cover crops a lot better opportunity to actually take and um, uh, set up housekeeping once we do get a, a rainfall event. Well, that brings us. <laughs> So that, go, ahead, uh, go ahead, Glenn. No, no, go ahead. I'm well, gonna... I was going to say that brings us to another uh, challenge is just the wheat crop. We talk about cover crops, trying to get them to take, but what about our wheat crop we're trying to put in? Yeah, so that's another opportunity, right? Cereal grains, uh, whether we're talking about corn, we're talking about wheat, barley, rye, oats, they all love dry soil conditions. And that doesn't mean that uh, they like to be thrown on top of the ground in dry soil conditions. But if you'll drill weed in, uh, even in these less than optimal conditions, it's amazing uh, how the moisture will come up at night. And um, I've seen some pretty good stands of wheat that were drilled, right? Hmm. Now, bro- broadcast stands, probably not so, this is probably not so good for that. But uh, drilled stands are coming up and they just look excellent to me. <clears throat> and you know, the old saying is, you know, you plant in the dust and the bins will bust. No shortage of that this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we, 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 you should have seen us in the podcast room. Me and Ryan just kind of grinned at each other because you always give us a new, a new old saying every time you're on, Glenn. <laughs> well, I tried to. Right. <laughs> you know, I did just turn 61, so I'm, I'm almost officially a senior now. <laughs> Al- almost officially. Right. 
You can mm-hmm. buy two hamburgers now. <laughs> <laughs> Getting close. There you go. Getting well, close. well, I might look like a senior, but I still, I still feel like a, like a. <laughs> 30 year old maybe there you go. maybe a 40 year old there you go <laughs> uh hey we're obviously getting a lot of opportunity to put fertilizer and lime on too i mean this has been a fall that uh with lime being such a a, a problem sometimes trying to get it on and ahead of, of rain and nobody wants to mess with lime in the spring or at least preferably not want to mess with lime in the spring but um we you mentioned uh in our in our pre-talk a little bit about the soil testing can you talk about that i mean it's a it's a great time to be soil testing it's dry but there's some there's some watch outs with that oh absolutely what a wonderful segue ryan you're absolutely a professional at this so so, we we do this for a year we we get better (laughs) we don't (laughs) there you well, yeah, I, I don't really think good. you have to tell people that I'm a professional at this. No, they, they get it. They get it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I realize that there's no caricature of Glenn Longobaugh at Premier Ag, but there are caricatures of Sal and Ryan, right? So Glenn I, wants I, I his do own, recognize. He wants his own. You now. want your own fathead, you can get one. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I, have, I have caricature envy now. So, no, so Good back God. to... Uh, Back, no, I really don't. <laughs> so, so back to your your question. Uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to get a bunch of lime spread, and and lime is one of those. It's one of those necessary evils, right? It's 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 wonderful to keep the pH uh, in balance. <clears throat> it is typically a long term amendment, right? We don't make a we don't make a lime amendment for each season. We make a lime amendment oftentimes for as much as three to ten years, right? And yet, when I say it's kind of a sin, you're not putting on tens of pounds or hundreds of pounds. Oftentimes, you're putting on thousands of pounds or even tons per acre. And so when you're putting on these big um, <clears throat> big volumes, oftentimes, um, you know, we're, we're, we're creating some compaction and that sort of thing if, if conditions are less than optimal. Right now, uh, the soil is, is very dry. It's a great time to put on lime. <clears throat> but the watch out or the, the caveat is that what are you making that lime recommendation based on, right? If you're making that based on soil samples that were taken earlier in the year, <clears throat> maybe the previous season, and you're just now getting to it, then yeah, those are probably excellent. Uh, <clears throat> that's probably an excellent guide, right? And typically, by the way, we don't make soil sampling, or not soil sampling, we don't make um, <clears throat> lime recommendations based on soil pH. We make it on a buffer pH. And, and so in other words, when we lime, we're not just trying to sweeten the soil. We're trying to actually sweeten uh, or or um, reduce the acidity of the hydrogen that's actually bound to the soil colloid, right? And so when you guys see soil test results and there's a soil water pH and there's a soil buffer pH, whether they've used Socorro, whether they use SMP, um, basically that is a guide to how much reserve acidity there is in the soil. Because that's what we're doing when we're liming. We're trying to reduce the acidity of the soil. And there's some uh, hydrogen ions, that's what makes uh, the soil acid is hydrogen. Um, <clears throat> there are some uh, hydrogen ions that are in the soil solution. That's basically the water pH. And then there are other um, hydrogen ions that are actually uh, bound to the soil colloid because they are positively charged, right? It's basically just a proton. Uh, in other words, it's a, uh, it's a proton with no electron around it. That's why it has a net positive charge. It's bound to the soil colloid. 
And as you sweeten the soil a little bit, then it causes it to flush off, right? It's exchanges. <clears throat> when we talk about counting exchange capacity, that's what we're talking about. That hydrogen will exchange in the soil solution and actually keep the pH low. So when we make lime recommendations, we have to account for how much is in the soil colloid as well as what's in the soil solution. When it comes to soil testing, Ryan, uh, the, the real... Um, Oh, the, the watch out, if you will, in this kind of weather is, are you getting a representative sample? So if we're in conventional tillage and you crumb a bunch of uh, soil up out of the, up out of the ground in a, in a sample, it's probable that it's representative of what that soil has in it. But if we're in reduced or no-till situations, right, where we have significant stratification of nutrients and acidity, uh, in other words, the pH is not maybe the same at the surface as it is two inches down as it is, you know, four or six inches down, then it becomes really, really uh, paramount that we have um, representative samples, right? And so when it gets really dry like this and a, and a soil probe goes in the ground, um, oftentimes the auger uh, will will displace, you know, the soil is so dry and crumbly, it will, it will displace uh, that soil at the surface and you don't get the same proportion of surface soil with subsurface soil, right? And so that's why uh, oftentimes when it gets really, really dry, we'll halt uh, soil sampling is because we just can't get uh, the, the machines are not made for this kind of, of soil conditions, right? Yeah. It, now, uh, it literally ahead. falls out of the probe, right? It just kind of crumbles and... and it, uh, it can, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, depending on, depending on the style of probe. I mean, obviously, you could probably go out and hand probe with a, um, uh, w with a, uh, a take and go, right? It's like a bucket with a, with a hole in the bottom of it that's made for an auger bit. I mean, you could probably go do that, but, but uh, I'm sorry, it's called a collect and go. But those are, that would be very time consuming. And that's in the 21st century, that's not how we take uh, soil samples. Typically today, it's done with a machine on the side of a UTV or a four wheeler. And, um, it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's the scale is what uh, requires us to use these types of tools. Now, the metrics can even can be messed up, right? <clears throat> in the case of Premier Ag, they go through SureTech up at Indianapolis. Indianapolis, uh, SureTech now uses a, uh, when they take a um, <clears throat> soil pH, they don't just extract with water now. They actually use a, uh, a salt pH, kind of like what Missouri has used all along. And um, that really compensates for dried soils, right? So when you have really dry soils, oftentimes the pH will come out higher than what it should be. <clears throat> and when they use this uh, 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 saline extractant, then it gives them much more consistent uh, numbers to what you, uh, than what you would find whenever you, you sample in ideal conditions. Uh, there are some things that will not change, right? <clears throat> Think about phosphorus numbers. Typically, they don't change when we get into really dry conditions from really wet conditions. When I say they don't change, they don't change appreciably. The one that oftentimes we get the most grief about and I get questions about is around potassium. And so it turns out that potassium, um, <clears throat> depending on the soil, when you get in dry conditions, the, the, the potassium levels will just absolutely plummet. And it's because the clays in some soils actually will sequester that potassium. 
right? So you think about clays is where a big part of our soil exchange capacity comes from, right? And it's this, it's this rough edge. You know, think of a clay particle, uh, <clears throat> Ryan, as being like a deck of cards. And the edge of that deck of cards, right, has a lot of surface area and a lot of little uh, crevices and cracks. And and that typically is where cations are held because that's where the, the, it has this net negative charge. Well, at the ends of these layers, right, clays are, 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 are um, the structure is that they have these little fine layers. At the ends of those, some clays will actually fray out. And when it gets really dry, those, those splayed ends, right, if you can imagine the deck of cards being bent so that it has little gaps in between it, it will actually close up. And when that closes up, it will sequester that potassium. The potassium isn't gone, but the potassium will no longer show up in a soil sample. So if you've been soil sampling for, you know, 15 or 20 years, and suddenly um, you'll, you'll get this soil sample in from really dry conditions that's off the pace by 50 or 60 pounds, you're thinking, you know, well, have they been putting it on? Have I been removing more than I've been putting on, right? It'll give you these erroneous numbers. And so that's one of the perils with, with trying to take soil um, samples in these kinds of conditions is that, uh, I mean, the ICP will pick up whatever we extract from the soil, right? So this induction uh, plasma machine that will test down to parts per, I mean, it, typically we're looking at parts per million. It, they probably could test down to parts per billion. They're, they're very analytic, right? They don't make, they're not off by, by very much at all. The, the air comes from the extractant, right? So there are several extractants that are used on soil samples, and this may be too deep, but <clears throat> the one we use in this part of the world is called Malik-3. And Malik-3 is a buffered solution that we pour through the soil that basically pulls the cations. It flushes the cations that we think are exchangeable. It flushes them off into this solution, and then we test the solution to say, hey, this is how much phosphorus, this is how much potassium, this is how much um, whatever, right? is available to that crop, right? It's not, we're not measuring all the potassium or all the phosphorus in the soil or all the magnesium or all the iron. What we typically are measuring is what we think is available to the crop via the extractant, which in our part of the world is Malik-3, right? Some some states use Bray. Um, some, some states will use... Um, you know, other extracting methods. But in this part of the world, the standard is Malik-3. Does the Malik-3 give us a... So I've heard you say uh, three things here, I think, is that is that one is that the uh, the testing method at SureTech, it, it, it gives a better reading. It overcomes the, the obstacles uh, that we have with getting the pHs right. So we, we're going to get a good, a good sample. The challenge becomes getting a uniform sample of the core that is that is taken and then does the malik three overcome the the challenges of getting an accurate potassium reading in the dry soil that's yeah yeah so there you're right there is three things <clears throat> so first for soil water ph we use a salt solution i shouldn't say we uh SureTech uses a salt solution so it gives you a better ph then they run what's called the buffer ph and in this case we use sakura and Socora 
is calibrated to give us a similar number to SMP, which was the which was the gold standard, and no one uses it anymore because it contained chromium and was pretty hard on on people, right? It wasn't environmentally friendly, um, you know, using a bunch of chromium and having to dispose of that. So now we use a, a, a extractant called Sakura, and it's calibrated to give us a number. Um, and it's a it's a buffered solution. In other words, it, it starts out over center. We, you know, we first do a water extraction. You know, in this case, it's a saline water extraction. Then they do Sakura. They um, they test it to see how much reserve acidity or how much hydrogen is bound to the soil colloid, and then they use uh, the the malic uh, solution on on a on a separate sample. Basically. It is another. Um, it's another buffered solution. In other words, it resists change. It pulls uh, the weakly attached cations off into this solution, and then that solution is then sent off to um, the ICP, which is a um, uh, a sophisticated um, uh, oh, instrument that basically uh, uses. Uh, uh, plasma, right? It basically burns the sample at really high temperatures and then measures the spectrum of light that comes off. And it's just so interesting, right? That, you know, it seems like it'd be so crude, but they can tell by the intensity and the uh, frequency of the light that is released, <clears throat> both quantitative and, uh, you know, how much is there and what is there, right? So it's both uh, qu quantitative and qualitative. Well, sounds so, simple. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, interesting stuff. If 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 your listeners ever get a chance to go to a, a soil testing lab and and um, uh, if if any of Premier's customers would ever like to go up and tour a modern soil testing lab, I think they would probably be uh, flabbergasted at the amount of technology hmm. and uh, it's just really interesting how they. You know, you think about the opportunity for air, right? And so they are absolutely retentive about uh, tracking samples. They're constantly checking their machines, right? They have uh, known samples that they put in randomly so that they can check and make sure the machines are, are staying calibrated as they go. <clears throat> I mean, it is, it, it is, a, um, uh, it is a very... Uh, intricate procedure that they follow to make sure that those numbers you get back uh, are not erroneous. And so it really becomes important, you know, in these kind of conditions to maybe halt soil testing because if you go to all of that trouble to get accurate numbers because those numbers have a have a have a important uh, benefit to your bottom line, it's really important that you start out with a representative sample. Right? If you don't have a representative sample, then those numbers really don't mean much. So I have one question. So if somebody stops soil testing, if that's our recommendation, let's just quit. Um, sure. But we, we have that kind of weather. We ought to be putting something on. What is your recommendation then? <clears throat> yeah, that's great. So so there are several options. I would say, number one, you could use previous year soil testing, right? The soil is a huge buffer <clears throat> itself, and it resists change. And so oftentimes... Uh, if you look at historical soil tests, the same places are typically low, even if we tried to prop them up because it takes, you know, um, you know, nine pounds of, 
of P2O5 to raise a soil test uh, one pound. It takes six pounds of K2O to raise a soil test one pound of potassium, right? <clears throat> so knowing this, oftentimes we can use previous year's testing just because we know the soil doesn't change uh, quickly anyway. Another strategy you could use is uh, especially in lean economic times, right? I'd say we're going to all we're all going to end up having a great year this year. But if you think about it, <clears throat> one strategy is to is to use yield and the crop as a barometer of what to put on. So in other words, you could use um, <clears throat> the productivity of the soil and even use yield maps to variably apply based on how much crop you remove. Right? If we're talking about corn. Corn removes a lot of phosphorus and removes, you know, a, a, a maybe lesser, a little more modest amount of potassium. If we look at soybeans, uh, they also are a pretty intensive user of phosphorus, but they remove a lot more potassium. And then, of course, we have we all have uh, yield monitors, and we have uh, tools like Climate Corp that can that can record this data and give us a, a two-dimensional map that we could use to make. Um, quantitative adjustments across the field. Um, in, in other words, it would still require your your tracks person to, to build a zone map, but uh, that would be another uh, viable option in my mind. Okay. Right? And, is and then to, the, is uh, to use yield to decide what you're going to put on. Go ahead. So. And then the third option, I guess, is that uh, we have some growers that say, go ahead, keep, keep charging ahead. And, uh, um, you know, uh, Sometimes we'll have a, a sample that may crumble out, but the grower says, "Let's just stick to the plan and do your do the best sure. you can." And the, we've, uh, I think, you and uh, Joe are getting ready to kind of send out a uh, a message here to the to the sales staff and the branch managers and and kind of say, "Let us know if the grower wants us to keep going, tell us and tells us to go, or we'll keep going." And uh, absolutely. Otherwise, we'll we'll go off of existing samples and and uh and removal and do it that way but we'll we'll make yeah. do and keep yeah. keep the keep the machines going absolutely i think your I, th I think your phosphate test will be fine i think your your uh, ph will be fine as long as you can get a representative sample into the probe um, the, the one that if we have one that's probably going to be erroneous this year it'll probably be potassium and okay. and so just make sure you're not um you know, make sure you're braced when you see the soil test come in and potassium is is uh, really low. Just be braced that it's it may not be that uh, it didn't get put on the ground or that you're a terrible uh, manager or that the, the crop is now removing some, you know, disproportionate amount of potassium. It's probably just the, the, the clay in the soil has sequestered some of it and it's not showing up. So. All right. Okay. Well, you know, Ryan, whenever uh, Glenn was talking there, he got pretty deep in the chemistry and I kind of glanced over at the caricatures uh, of us and i i noticed that mine's got a little too much gray in there i think that uh if we do get new caricatures new fatheads we ought to <laughs> maybe update that yours got a kind of a red nose like <laughs> like you've been drinking a little bit over there or something <laughs> i i was gonna offer that before we left i thought <laughs> my wife my wife doesn't want two in the house now, i don't mean two caricatures just two of me, anything. So I could, I could send you mine, Glenn. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't care to. I don't care to. Yeah. So Sal, just remember this: gray hair is better than no hair. 
That, well, that's true. I've heard that. Easy. Uh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a little, I got a little issue with that, too. So, yeah, oh, Glenn, yeah, yeah. thanks for joining us today. And I know it was short notice. And appreciate it.